0: invite you to open your open your bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 we'll be looking at just the first 5 verses of the chapter today. And if you're looking for where 1 Corinthians is, you go to the New Testament and get through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts and Romans and then 1 Corinthians. I will admit that the next two weeks of 1 Corinthians 4 and then next week in 1 Corinthians 5 are lesser-read texts from this book. Most of us know 1 Corinthians 12. We know 1 Corinthians 13. We know the passages about the spiritual gifts and the one describing what love is. And, of course, in 2 Corinthians, I love the verses like, Though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, from 2 Corinthians 4.16. But 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 5 are maybe lesser-known texts, ones that we don't spend as much time with. They don't come up as often. And so as we read this morning, I invite you to wonder with me, when are situations in life when you can have a clear conscience, a clear conscience, but not be innocent? And you'll see where this comes in our text this morning. But before we read 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, let's pray together. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, to illuminate the scriptures to us, to awaken our hearts and minds, to convict us when necessary, to encourage us in our life of discipleship, and to be made more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, for we are eager, and your servants listen. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When can you have a clear conscience and still know that you are not innocent? I have experienced this very recently, to be honest, because yesterday I thought it would be funny to leave a cardboard cutout of Gollum in Pastor Audrey's office on her desk in such a way that she wouldn't see it until she turned the corner and got into her office, at which point Gollum from Lord of the Rings, one of the villains, would be staring at her. (laughs) I wish I could have been there. Now, you'll note that my conscience is very clear about this. I feel no guilt or no shame. In fact, I am immeasurably humored by this. My conscience is clear, but I am not innocent. (laughs) Yeah, because I think it's funny. You should ask Pastor Audrey what she thinks about it. I'm really hard to work with. (laughs) My conscience is clear, but I am not innocent. Meaning, I put this in her office, knowing that there is plenty going on. They had to rearrange... um, Actually, you ended up being the speaker for Ladies' Night Out. So in the midst of a stressful day of, okay, our guest speaker canceled, I've got to do all this other stuff, I still put Gollum in her office. That's not an innocent act. And as our text even asks, the motives of the heart... Well, I wanted it to for a joke. I thought it would be funny. Um, I really, I just think pranks are funny most of the time. And so I put it there anyway. My conscience is clear. I lost no sleep over this. But I am not innocent. To use the word broadly, what I did with Gollum and putting it in Pastor Audrey's office is, is in fact malicious. Because my intent was to elicit fear and surprise, even shock. And I really just can't stop chuckling about it to myself, even following it. My conscience is clear, but I am not innocent. I'm going to put this a little bit further back. I'll put him on your... Well, we're just going to hide him because I think he's distracting. Now he'll stare at you during your next song, Jed. But why is it that we can have such a clear conscience, even when we're not innocent? Now, there's certainly the laughable things, like like good-hearted pranks, but there's more serious instances where our consciences are clear, and yet we know that we're not innocent. But I can tell you that there is theological significance to our self-justifying nature. I'll give you an example. I think practical jokes are funny, but since the age of 14, I have had three rules for practical jokes. Number one, no property damage can take place. Number two, this cannot create a fire hazard. And number three, this cannot restrict mobility or transportation should an emergency occur. So, no saran-wrapping cars, because if someone had to leave for the hospital, they wouldn't be able to. I have had these three rules for pranks since the age of 14, and I have held to them like a Pharisee holds to the law, because those were my rules. No property damage, no harm, no limiting mobility, and no fire hazards. Mike Blaker is chuckling. I wonder if he had those same rules. I think not. But those are my rules. And I feel completely justified in what I do when I apply my own rules that I created to myself. In that way, and this is our human nature of self-justification at work, if I fulfill my rules... I make myself the judge of my actions, at which point I can have a clear conscience. Even if I am in fact guilty of doing something wrong, I can still believe that I'm fine. This is theologically significant because we all have a self-justifying nature. And that's just it. We can be far from innocent, but sleep just fine at night. And that's why the Apostle Paul so strongly emphasizes that he does not judge himself, meaning he is not the final authority on his thoughts and deeds and actions. We are not the final authority on ourselves. God has the final say. And that's what these five verses lead us towards, is the knowledge and assurance that we do not judge anything before its appointed time, Because the Lord is our judge, not ourselves. Now, in the city of Corinth, to which this letter was written, as part of the larger Greco-Roman world, as well as in our world today, we uphold a cultural value of the autonomy of self. We uphold a cultural value of the autonomy of self, meaning that we are the final authority on whether we did right or wrong. That's why... Paul pushes so strongly on this idea of the Lord being judge. Because we don't get to measure ourselves against our own standards, but we measure ourselves against God's standards, giving God the full authority to be the judge with the final say, with the final word on us. Now, if you think that people who self-justify, people who have cultural impulses that tell us that we're the final authority on ourselves is only talking about other people, then make no mistake, we've fallen into the very trap of believing our conscience is what makes us innocent. If our conscience is clear, we assume that we're okay. But that's not always the case. Overall, there are three ways, psychologically speaking, In which we can have a clear conscience, but not be innocent. One is our self-justifying nature. Living by our own rules, deciding which pranks are okay and which are not. Now, for something like putting Gollum in Pastor Audrey's office, not as big of a deal. But this is the same self-justifying nature that leads to stealing, that leads to embezzling, that leads us to self-justify and saying... They won't even miss it. They have more than enough. They don't need this. This is the same self-justifying nature that leads us to cheating. Our self-justifying nature can manifest itself in what I think are reasonably harmless ways, but it can also manifest in very harmful ways. One is our self-justifying nature, when our conscience can be clean but we are not innocent. Two are the things that we are simply unaware of, We all have blind spots because we are not omniscient. Only God is omniscient. We all have blind spots, things that we don't even know to be aware of, often because no one told us. Once again, the motives of the heart are at play here. If you think about your life in three concentric circles of the public self, who do people know you to be? How do people experience you? Think of how you know me to be as an example, how you would make yourself known to me in a public way. There's the public self, but there's also the private self, the slightly more reserved side of us that maybe our spouse or only close friends know of us. But there is also, from public to private, there is also a core of our being, the secret self, which I would argue, one, are things that we keep from everyone, our deepest, darkest secrets that we don't want anyone to know, including our loved ones, And some things, I would argue, we do not even have access to ourselves. Why are you so easily triggered by certain things that shouldn't bother you? And why do some things just never really get to you? We're all different, and it's our self-justifying nature that would say, oh, we've made sense of all of it. We have a self-justifying nature. We can often be unaware. We have blind spots. In how and who we are, among others. And third, often we can become numb. And our conscience can be clear, though we are far from innocent, because we have become numb to the effects. This manifests itself in addictions. When maybe at first we knew something was wrong, but over time and habitual disobedience, we're no longer bothered by our own addictions. They no longer get to us. They're not at the forefront of our conscience. Maybe this is an addiction to his substance. Maybe it's an addiction to a particular personality trait, our own anger that floods up and manifests itself. But eventually our conscience is clear because we've become numb to the effects. We're not paying attention to the destruction that could come from it. So the three ways in which we can have a clear conscience but know actually that we are not innocent, is through our self-justifying nature, our unawareness and blind spots, and our addictions, when we have become numb. Our conscience cannot be the final authority, though it is important. And as Caitlin described this text earlier this week, Paul is like a, a, a parent arguing with a teenager in this particular passage. The whole chapter has so many points, it's like hugging a cactus. But I want to read one other verse to bear in, because it gets to the same conclusion that 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4 gets to. If you still have your Bibles open, or even if they're not open, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. So going from 1 Corinthians, we'll go past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, which is really small, and then Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. I want us to look specifically at Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account." Now, I'll admit, the reason I memorized that first verse, verse 12, as a high school student was just because of sharper than any double-edged sword. But the concept is one that reminds us that we are not the final authority, but that the Word of God, living and active, living through the Holy Spirit, is sharper than any double-edged sword, meaning that it will divide and parse out and pierce soul and spirit. Judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Meaning, we do have a conscience, and that's one way that God speaks to us. But in Hebrews, we're being reminded that it is also Scripture at work of the Holy Spirit that will help us judge the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts in the same way that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, says what is, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We do not have the final authority. This is what Jed preached on some of last week, with thinking of the Heidelberg Catechism that we are not our own, but belong to God. Recognizing that we are not the final authority pushes us towards some different kind of action. Knowing that we do need to first do the work of making sure our conscience is clear, but to know that that's not where the work ends. But what I want us to make sure that we have in mind, even through this portion, even through giving ourselves a level of analysis and sincere confession before God, is the end game. In Hebrews chapter 4, The passage goes on to describe a great high priest who is unfamiliar with our sufferings and urges us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Meaning, this self, this awareness that we're inviting does not leave us cowering in fear, it does not leave us in shame, but it urges us towards the throne of God with confidence. And in the same way, 1 Corinthians 4 ends 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, ends with, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. There is an audacious hope at the end of this. So our self-reflection, our making right with our conscience, our invitation to confession does not end in shame. It does reveal the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It does bring to light all that we would much rather keep in the darkness. But it does not end in shame. It ends with hope and encouragement and grace. This is good news. This is audacious hope to say that each will receive their praise from God. We praise God, but here to hear that at this time each will receive their praise from God is an audacious hope indeed. Our self-justifying nature will lead us always to believe that we were right and they were wrong or we did what was right and the rules don't matter because we want to live by our rules instead. This is the mentality of the ends justify the means. But what about if, as Christians and in the church, we let the means justify the ends? Instead of convincing ourselves that the ends will justify the means, what if the means justified the ends? What if our means was faithfulness? consistent witness, trying to live in the fruit of the Spirit. And whatever end that leads us to is the right end. Our self-justifying nature is put on display in the book of Judges, where the refrain that the author comes back to time and time again is this. Each person did what was right in their own eyes, and it never worked out very well for very long. But interestingly enough, even doing this work of the conscience, and we do need to self-justify because when we are faced with difficult decisions, when we have hard choices in life to make, we do need to be able to justify our decisions. And so there is an element in which our self-justifying nature has to be brought in respect to God's analysis of us. Now, what's hard about this is sometimes we're going to have to make tough calls and we'd have to give an account for our actions. But we still need to be able to justify why we made the choices that we did. But hopefully, we have invited Scripture, the Word of God, living and active, into that process as well, and not just our own rules, not just our own conscience, unguided by Scripture or unguided by the Church. For we need these things to be able to make decisions that are rightly justifiable. We also have our blind spots. We have our wonderings on why certain things are triggers for us and not for other people. We have our secret self. We have things that we'd rather not anybody know about us. And we have things that might even be a mystery to us. Some of that is just a lifelong process of discipleship and spiritual disciplines. But there's also an invitation for us as a church to help one another speaking the truth in love. Sometimes our blind spots are simply matters of the heart that we just weren't aware of. We just didn't know the effect that our actions had on someone else. Now, try this on and wonder if you have ever done this. I'm not going to make anybody raise hands. But has anyone ever apologized to you for something they did wrong and you said, don't worry about it, no big deal? Have you ever done that? Received an apology for something you knew was wrong. He said, "Don't worry about it, no big deal." At that point, we have kind of removed any consequences from the action, and we haven't taken full advantage of a learning opportunity. So one of the things that the Ritter team has been uh, learning about and trying to put into practice, something that I have to put in practice after service today, is asking the question of, what was the impact on you? So the, I'm sorry, no big deal, don't worry about it, isn't the end of the conversation, but that it continues to, I am sorry. What was the impact on you? This is a tough question to ask and one that needs to be treated with a lot of grace and truth when it's answered. But to be willing to unpack what the impacts of our actions are on other people and to make that known takes courage and must be done with gentleness and not with malice. But similarly, to let someone know what the impact of their actions were. It takes courage. Sometimes we don't want to make a big deal of something that wasn't a big deal. But we might let something perpetuate in a relationship that wasn't meant to be there by just letting it go, by letting it brush off. But what if we were careful and loving, once again full of grace and truth, in explaining what the impact was? for something we forgot to do or didn't do. In this way, we learn from one another in our blind spots by asking the impact, by sharing it. And it takes courage to ask and to receive that impact without trying to justify ourselves. Now, one of my beliefs is actually that this practice of asking for the impact on someone's action and sharing it and just receiving that and not trying to justify ourselves, but just hearing and listening I think it could transform relationships. I think it would transform marriages. I believe it would transform the church and the ministry of the church to the world just by that simple act of listening. These are our blind spots. Saul, before he was Paul, had blind spots. Things that he just wasn't aware of were wrong and probably didn't want to hear any of the impact on what this was until it was Christ himself who spoke to him on the Damascus Road. Our self-justifying nature needs to be lined up with Scripture and that we need to seek God for justification and not ourself. That it's not our conscience, but it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us because God is our judge and has the final say. It takes a community of courage to speak truth into each other's lives, to make us aware of our blind spots. And I know that there's ways that you all are used to interacting with me that I am probably not aware of at all and never will be if no one doesn't tell me. We have our addictions. We have our things that are habitual, and we've just become used to them. This is both Romans 1 and Romans 7, where we continue in these paths for so long that God hands us over to them because our consciences have become numb. Or in Romans 7, when we desire to do the good and never do it, and desire to not do the bad, and yet we still continue to do it. And eventually our consciences no longer cry out to us because we're used to living this way. In a few weeks we'll begin the season of Lent and uh, the adult discipleship team and Caitlin in particular has been working on a devotional book and one of the practices that's there and we'll discuss this more in the, in the sermon discussion class over in the education wing afterwards is an old practice called the Examine and it is what it sounds like. It's from St. Ignatius But it's a five-step prayer that leads us into trying to go beyond just our conscience and inviting God into our lives. To become aware of God's presence, to review the day, remembering specific moments with gratitude, pay attention to ourselves, what we're thinking and feeling about the day and the people we interacted with, to choose a piece of our day and to pray over it, And to ask, where did we feel God's presence the most? And where did God seem distant to us? Not that God was distant, but where did we feel God was distant? And then to pray in anticipation of tomorrow. We'll talk more about that in Sunday school. But to wonder all the same, can we be a community that helps each other go beyond just the level of conscience and self-justification, but to work with one another? And will this have a transformative impact upon our lives, upon our relationships? To recognize that our conscience does not have the final say. Now the Apostle Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Now that doesn't remove that there are times where swift and obvious judgment are done. That's 1 Corinthians 5 next week, where there's something obviously wrong and it gets called out right away. But don't be too quick to jump to things that are not yet at the appointed time for judgment and to trust if we believe that Scripture is what we say it is and that God is who we say God is, that God will bring to light that which is in darkness at the appointed time, that God will work on our hearts if we but humbly and worshipfully offer our hearts to God. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God, says verse 5. The Lord will bring to light even the hidden, dark motives of our hearts. It does not end in condemnation. It ends in hope. And so maybe this week you can think about some of your own blind spots or ask someone how they experience you. And you can wonder maybe about the little things that you do that aren't a big deal, that you're completely fine with. But let's be prayerfully curious about areas in our lives that our conscience is clear, but that we might not be innocent. And when we bring this before the throne of grace, as the book of Hebrews encourages us, let us do so with confidence. For God is full of mercy and grace and will speak truth to us when we listen. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let's pray together. God, as your word tells us, the human heart is a mystery above all things. But we are not a mystery to you. You know our motives. You know our hearts better than we ourselves know it. You know our blind spots. You know the rules we've made for ourselves that we use to protect ourselves from being amenable to your rules. Lord, Get a hold of our hearts. Help us to have the courage to bring all of who we are to you. That our consciences may be clear and that we may be made innocent in your sight. All this is through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.